the best creativity and sometimes the most truth comes from the fringes of society, comes from traditionally marginalized voices, including the people who come up with monster stories. Um, just like I've faced some pushback in my academic work looking at monsters, I think that historically, you know, the folklorists and the people around the campfire telling stories, like sure, they were entertaining, but did people take them that seriously all the time? And for my research, the answer is sometimes yes, but more often no. So I think that by using monsters as a universal framing device, we're all scared of something, that opens up the conversation to engage in some really intense um, subjects like racism and sexism and colonialism. Hi, welcome to the Daiku Podcast. I'm Gary Snow. Today I'm joined by Dr. Emily Zarka, the writer and host of Monstrum, an award-winning series featured on PBS's storied YouTube channel. Monstrum examines the complex histories and motivations behind some of the world's most famous monsters and has featured many that would be familiar to D&D players such as the Basilisk and Trolls. Dr. Zarka, welcome. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I've been watching your channel and all the features that you have on it for, I guess, about three years now. And I know a lot of other D&D role-playing game people watch it as well. So I think this is going to be a really interesting discussion. Well, thank you so much for watching. Yes, I know the D&D community is very supportive for Monstrum. And I love reading their comments on the YouTube channel. So this is a thrill for me. So let's just take a step back and go back into your history of when did you first find your love of monsters? At a very young age, and I largely have my mom to thank. Uh, my mom is a huge horror and sci-fi nerd as well. And some of my earliest memories were watching terrible B science fiction movies um, with her. And I remember distinctly two standing out in terms of horror, which were Night of the Living Dead and Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island and actually The Lost Boys. And I remember seeing those around age eight and that combination of the undead and the cartoon with the more overt horror just stuck with me. And ever since then, I've been a massive fan of horror. And that kind of led into uh, your academic career, which I find very interesting as far as you have a doctor of philosophy in English from Arizona State University specializing in British romantic literature with an emphasis on the Gothic. Yes, then- that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my uh, emphasis on the Gothic, actually, uh, more specifically, the undead. Um, that's what my monograph I'm working on right now, my book is about. And like I said before, my affinity for the undead just knows no bounds. And I was fortunate enough to have some amazing professors when I was an undergraduate at the University of Colorado, who sort of encouraged and fostered my love of talking about horror as a career. I honestly didn't think that that was something that I would ever have the privilege or the opportunity to do. And I kind of just latched onto it and called myself a monster expert long before I should have, but decided I was just going to commit fully to the whole monster thing. And I've been very fortunate that it's paid off so far. Did that raise any eyebrows in the academic world? Oh, absolutely. I still have been very transparent about this. I definitely even still get some pushback um, from more traditional academics. I think that I'm fortunate enough to be at an institution at ASU that's very supportive of public scholarship, but I'm not just doing public scholarship. I'm not just doing frontward facing work, which some people frown upon and things like tenure doesn't necessarily count um, that kind of forward facing work, which I think is ridiculous. 
but I definitely get pushback. There were especially at grad school and before the storied in Monstrum, there were a lot of raised eyebrows and a lot of, well, what are you going to do with that? Why are you talking about not just vampires, but the undead? And then I also look at gender and sexuality and female authors in my work as well. And the combination of talking about women talking about the undead just seemed to make some people unhappy. But luckily I have some amazing mentors um, still in my life today who kind of just told me, like, screw it. It's like, no one's going to like what you do in the long run anyway. So do something that you're passionate about. And again, I just doubled down on the horror monster thing. And here I am. <laughs> One of the lines that I really like is uh, you've said before is you applied the, the theory that human history is monster history. Can you kind of elaborate upon that? Yes, that is sort of my unofficial slogan that I used for the initial pitch, actually, uh, for Monstrum for PBS. But I truly do believe that human history, as we all know, is incredibly complicated. There are so many different facets and interpretations and stories behind all these major events. And we all know that certain people get to write history, or at least the most notable history. So I really think that the best creativity and sometimes the most truth comes from the fringes of society, comes from traditionally marginalized voices, including the people who come up with monster stories. Um, just like I've faced some pushback in my academic work looking at monsters, I think that historically, you know, the folklorists and the people around the campfire telling stories, like sure, they were entertaining, but did people take them that seriously all the time? And for my research, the answer is sometimes yes, but more often no. So I think that by using monsters as a universal framing device, we're all scared of something, that opens up the conversation to engage in some really intense um, subjects like racism and sexism and colonialism, for exa example, across our history. And I'm just fortunate that everyone creates monsters. I truly believe that making monsters is part of what makes us human. And when you mentioned the pitch that you did to, uh, was it the PBS executives? I don't know how it's structured as far as uh, yeah. <laughs> organization goes. And what was it like making that pitch and how did it come to fruition? So you have to love technology. Um, I was fortunate enough I didn't have to fly out to the PBS office, but I was actually giving a lecture when I was in grad school uh, for the opening of one of ASU's newest buildings in Washington, DC. And it was a TED style talk. And I pitched the idea for the show, uh, basically, and my research and looking at human history is monster history. And there happened to be someone in the audience who went to school with one of the um, producers, actually the director of PBS Digital Studios. And he was like, hey, I think that this is a really good idea and I can make an introduction. And from that introduction, um, I'm very fortunate, Adam Dyluski uh, gave me a chance. He's like, all right, I'll give you 15 minutes, like pitch the show, what's gonna happen? And I know I used my tagline, monster history is human history. And I know that I said that I want to do for monsters what Anthony Bourdain did for food um, and really just make monsters a way of connecting us across different cultures and communities. And luckily, they loved the idea. Um, I didn't even have a PowerPoint. It was like just <laughs> talking. I would do it totally differently today. But that was the first, um, we greenlit the first episode for Monstrum, which was actually about dragons, European dragons. And while we were filming that episode, we got um, a call from PBS saying we want more. And since then, we've just been so fortunate. We're on our fourth season, which is still absolutely incredible. And so Monstrum launched on YouTube in 2019 and it blew up pretty quickly. Um, I know we reached the 100,000 subscribers 
pretty quickly again for an educational YouTube channel, which was incredible. And after I think the second season of Monstrum, PBS was like, hey, let's do more storytelling. Let's focus on the humanities. And so Monstrum grew to become the flagship show on the storied humanities YouTube channel. And so now we have literature, we have looking at the etymology of words, and we have our folklore and mythology series, uh, Fate and Fabled. So it's really just the place to go for all cool stories. Um, because again, I think that storytelling is integral to our humanity. So it's just a privilege to be a part of such a cool community. And we will have all those links to the story channel and uh, Fate and Fabled, It's Lit, and other words are all great shows as well on the storied uh, YouTube channel. So we'll have the links there uh, in the show notes in the description. Um, and But were you a little bit surprised by the success of it? <laughs> yes, honestly, a little bit. Um, I know that there were other horror sort of nerds out there, and I knew that, you know, other people study the gothic, but I didn't think that people would be so enthusiastic about such a, I mean, honestly, making a show about monsters is very bizarre. Like, that's a weird thing to pitch. It's weird to talk about it in such an academic way. And adding the illustrations and sort of the original creation, it's an interesting format. So I was a little surprised, but I think that again, the initial success of Monstrum and its continued running, if you go through the comments, which I read every single one, which for better or worse, um, I really think it's cool to say like, oh my gosh, I remember, you know, my grandpa telling me about this one thing, or in my community, we have about this ghost on this particular road. And it just really spoke to my heart. It reiterated something that I hoped had always been true, that we're surrounded by monsters and that even if we try to pretend that we don't like scary stories, we all at least have one from our childhood that we can clearly point to as being foundational in our memories. And so seeing that sort of play out in real time and has been really cool. And how much time actually goes into researching and then like editing and shooting an episode? Ooh. A lot of time. Um, I always say it's a labor of love. I can't give an exact hour amount because we don't keep track because I'm sure it would drive <laughs> us all insane to be honest. But from my end, I research and write every episode. So I would say that it's the academic in me. It's, there's never enough research that I can do. So I spend at least two weeks um, researching the monster and diving into what other scholars have said, looking at ancient artifacts and art history. And with my training, it's never enough just to do the literature aspect or the fiction. I try to look at the science and the politics and what was going on in the art community during that particular moment of creation. And I do my best. Uh, so then we do the research. I come up with an outline and then I write the script, which depends on how long the script is, but the writing part's usually pretty fast. The research is the harder part. And then we send the script to my production team and we go back and forth. Um, each Monstrum script goes through at least two reiterations, if not three or more, depending on how long the content is. And then we film the episode. And after the episode is filmed, sort of the editing team takes over. They are amazing over at Spots and I have zero skills in that department. So I'm really fortunate to work with them. And we work, um, the, my director, David, and I work with our illustrator, Samuel Allen, um, based out of the UK. And we together sort of create what we think the monster should look like based on my research. And yeah, hours more editing and dubbing. And I'm sure, as you know, talking about thumbnails and all the fun YouTube algorithm stuff, 
and then Monstrum episodes pop up. Well, I could probably learn a few things from uh, your team as far as uh, getting subscribers and all that. But uh, was there? It's a complete crapshoot. That's oh, all I know about the algorithm. I've just, I just <laughs> given up on it. But um, right. So one one of the things is your research. When was there any monster that you were researching that kind of surprised you, or that became mm. like a, just your little darling of a show because it was just so unique? So I think the most unique monster, one that's very near and dear to my heart, just because she's so bizarre, is the Filipino Mananangal. Um, I just think there's something really specific about a self-segmenting female viscera drinking, like not because she's not undead, but like she's flying around with bat wings and terrorizing people at night. And I just think there's something so bizarre about that. So I knew in my core that there had to be a really cool story there. And doing my research, luckily, you know, it was proved, in my mind at least, that there's this really interesting connection between how women are viewed um, in Filipino culture and then how that changed after the introduction of colonialism and Christianity. So that's one of my favorite episodes of all time. It's one of the reasons we have merch for Mananangal, and I talk about her constantly because I think it's such a cool monster. But I think that's been most surprising in my research is sometimes we have ideas or we get requests from the audience where it's like, oh, we want to see a gargoyle episode, or we want to see this kind of episode. And I'm like, eh, not my favorite, but I appreciate those suggestions because when I dive into the research, I'm like, oh my gosh, we don't even really know why gargoyles exist on buildings. Like they don't really serve a purpose. Um, and having those kind of questions and revelations is really cool. Most recently though, I think that the Slenderman and Siren Head episodes um, have been some of my favorite in terms of research because I got to dive into a lot of still it's considered experimental or newly emerging theory about online folklore and sort of the debate between scholars of does digital folklore count, right? Do we even look at social media as being these new producers of these monsters and horror stories? And my answer of course is yes, uh, but it's just been cool to see how much is out there and how much we're constantly developing as humans basically and how horror is never gonna stop. I love the Siren Head episode. I thought that was just Thanks. fascinating how uh, internet culture can take something and, and and transition us from traditional methods of communicating to now here, but the monster stays the same. Exactly. And I think that that's something, it's a really cool little, again, digital, modern example of something that was going on for, has been going on for thousands of years, if not millennium, right? And yeah, again, it's one thing to talk about like, oh yeah, back when the witchcraft trials were happening, you know, in Eastern Europe, it seems disjointed to us and maybe something that we can't understand. But then if you think about Siren Head on TikTok, it makes a lot more sense. So that was a really cool connection to make. And being able to talk to Trevor Henderson was amazing as well. And he was so generous and how open he is to seeing his monster take on all these different forms. I just thought was really inspiring. And you did a three-part zombie series. Was that like Scooby-Doo flowing through you? And you said, I'm, I'm finally going to do this. Yes, absolutely. So the three-part online series is the online component for Exhumed, uh, History of Zombies, which was a PBS national broadcast that we made and filmed in 2020, which was a whole experience in itself. But from the very beginning, both PBS and our earliest viewers of Monstrum we're saying like, do an episode on zombies, do an episode on zombies. And from my own research and great love of the undead, I kept saying no, because I was like, we can't just do a 10 or 15 minute episode about zombies. There's way too much to talk about. 
And I basically was just very stubborn <laughs> until um, I pitched PBS uh, the option of doing a full hour-long documentary and the three-part online series. And that turned into the Exhumed Project, which besides the fact that zombies were sort of my introduction into horror in so many ways, was such a cool experience. And one of the proudest moments I think I've had for Monstrum just because of the care that we put into it and the effort. And frankly, I had the absolute privilege to talk to experts, to talk to voodoo and voodoo spiritual leaders and priests, to talk to film scholars and these authors and all these people that I just really admired and had different stories to tell about the zombie. And I would never have had that opportunity just as a normal professor, I don't think. So I think being able to tell the story of the zombie in that way was really cool because it can't be told by just one person. And not that we told every facet of it, but I think that zombies are part of our history as humans, especially here in America and giving other people the opportunity to share their experience and their perception of the zombie was just something I'll value forever. Well, I really enjoyed it. And you got to travel around to a lot of, uh, I think, to New Orleans and- uh, Yes, <laughs> which again was a trip during the pandemic, um, but the fates work in mysterious ways. Um, we were able to shoot in spots in New Orleans that would have been extremely difficult to do. Um, you know, parts of Bourbon Street and some of the major landmarks, we would have had tourists everywhere in a normal year. So although it was, you know, doing things like masking and social distancing while trying to film a documentary is challenging, it was, it worked out in the best ways. Serendipitous. So my next question for you, and I don't know if you've ever <laughs> cracked this thing open, but the uh, original monster manual for Dungeons and Dragons, have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons or role-playing games? So I have to admit, I've done some role-playing stuff, but very casually. I have not yet got into Dungeons and Dragons, which I'm ashamed to say as the host of Monstrum, and it's on my to-do list. I promise everyone, um, especially the more I think about like Siren Head and this translating folklore and making new stories. I just don't think I'm creative enough. So I need to get over that barrier and really dive in. So I'll definitely be watching your show and looking for advice from your viewers of how to get started on my D&D journey. But yes, I've seen the Monster Manual, the original, the updated versions. Um, spoiler alert, we're actually doing an episode on Tiamat. So oh. I sort of traced her history a little bit in the D&D uh, world, but... One of the shocking things in one of your previous episodes was the basilisk and the cockatrice being one and the same creature. And I can tell you, Gary Gygax does not agree with you. There's two listings for him <laughs> in here, but but that was, I found interesting. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, I really do. I love when monsters contradict each other because I think that again is just, it's just humans telling stories in different ways. Uh, and that also kind of leads into um, the fictional monsters and how writers or creators in role-playing games could harness some of the creativity from history. Um, can you just maybe provide some advice as far as what would be a good way to approach it? You know, are there pitfalls as far as, you know, cultural appropriation that they might want to be wary of? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, I think the most important thing about trying to add historical context to any kind of RPG or creative storytelling that you're doing. I personally, those are my favorite kind of stories to read or movies to watch is when I can pinpoint the historical accuracy. I think, especially when you're dealing with fantasy, 
being able to add some kind of facts or an interpretation of a fact really gives a sense of realism and authenticity to a story. So I think that in terms of appropriation, there's a difference between appropriation and appreciation. And I think that the line comes down to respect and self-education. It's not those communities' jobs um, to teach us about their histories. It's our job to try to seek out those voices. So I would encourage everyone who's interested in adding his history into their D&D experience and their RPGs would be to try to get your information from a variety of sources. Try to look for people who are giving that information, even if it's peer-reviewed academic stuff, that it's actually people from those cultures talking about the history. And I think, again, though, that you might become a research nerd if you start doing that. I like to call it the research pitfalls. We'll all spiral into looking at one specific thing, like, okay, let's talk about garlic. Or, yes, someone ate a mummy once. What was that like? And then I just go in these weird loops that I truly appreciate, and maybe your viewers will as well. So I think, again, self-education, pulling from lots of different sources is a really good idea. And in terms of looking for stuff that's publicly accessible, I would encourage everyone to look at their local, not just libraries, but museums. Um, and just from my own research with Monstrum, I found that folklorists and people into monsters at museums or at cultural institutions are usually super excited to talk to you or even just point you in the right direction of like, yes, you know, we did a display on this. Maybe I'll send over some pamphlets or here's a couple book suggestions for me. So there's plenty of research out there that's high quality and accessible. You just have to do a little bit of digging. Is most of it digitized now or are there times that you actually have to order a book in from another library um, to get the content? It depends. Um, I'm fortunate enough with my institutional access to be able to request pretty much everything. But again, I think that Google Books has some stuff and quite a few museums um, are digitizing their collections now, which is really cool. So even if it's just something that, you know, looking at a Coptic vase or seeing, you know, a Greek piece of pottery that has a minotaur on it, the brilliant curators might have a really cool couple paragraphs underneath that that's publicly accessible, well-researched, um, and that will give you some information about that monster. And then you can backtrack and look at their bibliography or their work cited and try to find those sources yourself. So again, though, I think some information is better than no information. So don't get discouraged if you can only access a couple pages of something. It's reach out to people too on academic Twitter and all those museums and folklore centers usually have online presences. And I know people contact me on that kind of stuff all the time. And I'll send over links and suggestions because the horror community is a really cool place. Cool. And so last October, that's when you released the three-part zombie series. And do you have something? Uh, 2020. Oh, 2020, yeah. sorry, my mistake. Do you have anything planned for this October? Or is that still we a do. surprise? It's a little bit of a surprise. We don't have a multi-part series. Yes, we did zombies in 2020 and we did werewolves in 2021. And this year we're doing something a little different, not a series, but let's just say that you'll be looking at some very classic and familiar faces, uh, hopefully in a brand new way. And I will spoil the entire episode is gonna be in black and white. Oh, super cool. Yeah. And I guess, you know, before we leave, I, I have to ask you, are you ever going to run out of monsters? How, like, have you just scratched the surface? How many monsters are out there? 
I think we've just scratched the surface. Will we run out at some point? Maybe not with these new ones that are being created on all these cool online platforms. But we, I keep a running list of monsters that have been suggested and ones I've come across. And I think it's still in the 70s or 80s. So we have quite a few monsters yet to cover. And if you have any suggestions, I'm always willing to add them to the list. That's great. And so just for uh, viewers at home that are watching this, once again, uh, where can uh, people uh, see your videos and uh, if they want to connect with you or uh, follow you? Perfect. So if you want to see the Monstrum videos or any of the content, go to our storied YouTube channel. Some of the stuff is also available on pbs.org. And if you want to connect with me, uh, follow me on Twitter at Zarka Emily. Well, uh, Dr. Zarka, I appreciate your time today and sharing a little bit of your wisdom and your passion for monsters, which I think everybody can appreciate. And uh, I just want to say thank you for joining us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'll have to come back when I start playing D&D. &D. For sure. <laughs>